Hi, I'm Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders, and welcome to our live stream for Wednesday, January 12, 2022. It's our Ask Us Anything live stream, and I'm joined by Mike Tanier and Scott Spratt, and we've got a lot of uh, questions already, but you can ask your questions, especially if you are watching live, which hopefully you are watching live on YouTube or Twitch or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, or in the corner of our website in that little widget, but you may also be listening after the fact. Wherever you are watching or listening to the show, please subscribe if you haven't already so you get all of our playoff content. We'll be continuing with streams throughout the playoffs to get you ready for each weekend's playoffs games and for the Super Bowl. Obviously, a lot of our discussion today is going to be about coaching. So let's start with coaching questions that we got before the show by asking out on Twitter about questions. Uh, and let's talk about the coach carousel. So Joey sucks kind of asked both of the questions that need to be asked. One is with the new head coaching vacancies, what coordinators or former head coaches are you most excited to see get a shot or another shot? And uh, also what teams are you most excited about getting a chance to change direction? And Raider Joe asked us, of Gerard Mayo, Aaron Glenn, and Patrick Graham, what are the odds of each landing head coaching jobs for 2022? So before we talk about which teams and open coaching jobs are most desirable, let's talk about the candidates and who we like mm -hmm. as far as candidates. And I'll start with Todd Bowles. Mm -hmm. I feel like... Um, he may have fell victim to the Jetsness of the Jets. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I mean, listen, there's always a problem with coordinators that you that just because someone is a good coordinator does not mean they're going to be a good head coach. Right. Um, Dan Quinn, for example, has been a very good coordinator and he's been a very good coordinator this year as a head coach in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, he made a Super Bowl, but. You know, people feel like he's a better coordinator than a head coach. Uh, the problem is coordinators is, you know, that and college coaches is that's the group we have to choose from when it comes to hiring new head coaches. Yes, Hitchhiker's Pie is right. Wade Phillips syndrome, although Wade Phillips is underrated as a head coach, I would prefer to call it Norv Turner syndrome. Okay. Because Norv Turner is definitely not underrated as a head coach. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. The uh, so uh, Todd Bowles would be my first pick of people to interview and to give a shot. He did some things with the Jets, he had a season, he had a winning season with right. the Jets with Ryan right. Fitzpatrick as his quarterback. Which I mean, that sounds like a good coaching job, and we know that he's a master of defense. So, question about the defense side of it though, because Bowles in my head, I think I like a lot more than maybe I should. Because <laughs> there's like an Adam Gase follow up that makes you look back on it with rose colored glasses, right? But <laughs> he was top top 10 in defensive DVOA his first season with the Jets, but then like 21 to 23 range the next three seasons. I feel like he got four years because the first year was so good, but like what what really stood out about the, the latter two-thirds, three-quarters of that tenure that makes you think that he's a great defensive mind? Like, again, it's hard to, to, to unpack Nothing. whether that was players or like <laughs> you said, the Jetsiness. It's yeah. what he's done with other teams that makes you think that he's a great defensive mind. You're absolutely right. He, he, he came across as a good – administrator and mm -hmm. like preventer of the circus with the jets 
So you start with, well, he must know X's and O's to some degree in that he's had success as a coordinator at other stops. And it never it never gave the outward impression that he was the person causing the problems with the Jets. What yeah. happened is they had a terrible GM in McAgnon who was just drafting Hackenbergian nonsense year after year after year. And that's where the Jetsiness kicks in, where he's out there trying to coach guys up and he doesn't have the guys necessary to coach up because the draft was so poor. Yeah, I tapped him as like a possible fit with the Giants for a team that like needs an adult in the room type of person Right. where you're like, you're kind of building this from the ground up. You're looking for somebody that can bring, you know, program building, culture, all the stuff that Urban Meyer said that maybe he wasn't actually good at doing. It seems like Bowles would be the real deal in that respect. But I, I don't really know what you're getting from a defensive scheme standpoint. Right. I'd be reluctant to go looking for a defensive scheme from your head coach. You know, it's one thing to say, I want an offensive scheme. I want one of these young offensive crews. Defense, you can get scheme from guys. You know, if you're bringing your defensive coach up, I think you want somebody who can administer the team to that respect. And I think that, again, that's that's what I would want from 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 a Bulls. By the way, I'd like Leftwich to get an opportunity, too. He's obviously been working under Arians for years, had success with different quarterbacks. I'd like to see him get an opportunity as well. Yeah, to the defensive scheme point, this isn't scheme per se, but Brian Flores, who I'm sure we're going to talk about because I'm guessing you guys feel the way that I do, which is that he's a really good head coach Mm -hmm. and maybe got fired for reasons that didn't have a lot to do with how good of a head coach he was. Mm -hmm. But it stood out to me this season when he played the Ravens on a short week on a Thursday night game and he blitzed them. It was like 54% of the Ravens dropbacks. Nobody really ever blitzed Lamar before because why would you blitz a guy that can run that well? And then suddenly blitzing became the book against Lamar Jackson, where like he really couldn't pass against it. It was like one of the worst passers in the league against blitzes. And it's just like, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, wow, like this is like a game plan specific thing that he was able to put in place on a short turn. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily a huge blitzing team every week. So like, that's the kind of thing that I love to see from a head coaching candidate. But, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to figure out like who gets credit and, and why things happen the way they do, but that's intriguing to me. I have tried to figure out what the story is behind the Flores firing. Um, part of it seems to be that he didn't want Tua as yeah. his quarterback. Yes. I can't figure out how much the story of him not getting along with players has to do with other players versus just Tua. That I'm not sure, but the whole thing, and the, and you know the Achilles heel for him was it wasn't just Tua. The offensive line coaches were never to his liking. The offensive coordinators were never to his liking. And at some point, after three seasons, you have to pick the people who are the people. And he never seemed to do that. I don't think he should have gotten fired, mind you. But the guardrails had to be in place for the following season. Say, if this is not your quarterback, talk to us, and we're going to solve it. And also, what's going on? Why do we have two different? coordinators and three different line coaches i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i would be shocked if he doesn't get another job this go around Mm -hmm. but i will be shocked if he doesn't get another job in the next two go around right like there may not be the right fit for him in this year's teams but i can't imagine anybody would let him sit out there for more than a year given the success that he did have in miami i mean he led this team to a winning record for two years he took a team that was horrible when he started there and he rebuilt them you know, I, I tried to find the right fit for him because he's he's a guy that I'm really intrigued by. And the Broncos made a little bit of sense to me since they already have an established GM. So you maybe not you aren't looking for a new GM and coach that maybe have a relationship to come in together. But I don't know if they want to kind of zag away from a defensive minded head coach. That tends to be a pattern that teams follow. And it's like it didn't work before. And we had a defense guy. So let's get an offense guy. People like to follow up a defense guy with an offense guy and vice versa. And they like to follow up a hard ass with a player's coach and vice versa. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And and I would not want to take after like Fangio and Drew Locke were oil and water. I would not I don't think Locke is long for this world for the Broncos either, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't stick Flores in there it's like, oh, here you go. Here's another young quarterback that you can kind of neg into oblivion. I, you know, it, Minnesota might make more sense. Or it's like here, it's Kirk Cousins. He can stand up to this. This is the 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 veteran that you should probably want, you know, the, the veteran who doesn't make mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. That might be a better fit for Flores. They already have the veteran who doesn't make mistakes. His name is Teddy Bridgewater. He's not under contract. <laughs> He's not under contract, He's not under contract for next year. And while Kirk Cousins is under contract, to me that the reason the Vikings fired Rick Spielman, the GM, it suggests to me that they're maybe ready to move on and hit the hard reset. Mm -hmm. And so that's a spot where you maybe are looking for somebody to really build it from the ground up. Not that that Flores couldn't do that necessarily, but it's just like everybody is open to you in that spot, I feel like. Yeah. So so we've we've named Flores. We've named... Uh, Leftwich, we've named Bowles. Who else do you guys have as top candidates in your minds? I'd like to see Kellen Moore. I think Kellen Moore is a good candidate. Yes. And uh, we have to mer- mention Eric Bieniemy because it feels yes. like he's a candidate every year. There's some question about just how much he's in charge of the Chiefs offense versus Andy Reid. But, you know, clearly he's got a lot of coaching experience for a very good team. And the Reid coaching tree has been successful. So maybe specifically for the Dolphins, I'm intrigued by 49ers offensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel. And like, this is somebody that's falling into the like potential trap of looking for the next Sean McVay. Cause he is 38 years old. He went to an Ivy league school in Grail uh, in Yale. He's worked under Kyle Shanahan for several years, but you're wondering like if the Dolphins are specifically looking to find somebody that maybe can enhance what Tua does, get a little bit more creative and expand the playbook with them. Maybe in like that golf kind of sentiment looking for like the pre-snap motion the type of things that maybe make it easier on your quarterback more play action like all of that type of stuff that might be a good schematic fit like I assume that they're going to try to make it work with Tua for one more season and that's where it's like you really need to find the guy that is creative in that sense right right yes you have to find somebody who could maximize what you can do with Tua as your quarterback right which there should be something there because he was not terrible as we often point out he was limited by the system Another similar guy who's been getting interview names, Rams assistant Kevin O'Connell, uh, former backup in the room for the Patriots, et cetera. And I'd like to see him go, mostly because he gave me a very gracious interview once. <laughs> oh, uh, Bill, Houston, that Bill Houston says, do you believe that Joe Judge's not running a clown show comment was a stealth appeal to the Jaguars and their fans? <laughs> uh, the... Um, the other name I should mention is Jim Caldwell. I think a lot yes. of people have pointed out that, look, Jim Caldwell had success with the Lions. They fired him and the Lions fell apart. He had success with the Colts. What happened was we always took his success with the Colts and said it was just Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had success with the Lions and then they fell apart without him. I think Jim Caldwell is definitely one of the people being discussed in this round of hirings. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if he got another job. So the three names that Raider Joe mentioned, Gerard Mayo, Aaron Glenn, and Patrick Graham. Oh, Hitchhiker's Pie points out that Doug Peterson's name seems to be in vogue too, especially for the Jacksonville job, I think. Yeah, Jacksonville and Las Vegas would be two adult in the room, as Scott was saying, places to kind of come in and tamp down on the anger. Although Jaguars seem to like Bill O'Brien because they want to tamp up the anger, which is... I don't understand the idea of bringing Bill O'Brien back to the NFL right now. And I don't feel like he's the adult in the room that solves your problems. 
I was I was joking to a friend of mine because I had the I had the national semifinal game on and saw O'Brien calling plays, and I was like, "Oh, that's where Bill O'Brien is. That's hilarious that he went to Alabama to rehab his image." And literally the next day, he was getting interest as a head coach in the NFL, and I was like, "Well, I guess I'm an idiot." And his body language, like Peterson, would at least suggest that Tony Khan is having a little bit more of a voice in the room, right? Because that would give them somebody analytically friendly. And look, I mean, Peterson. For all the things went weird and haywire and sideways with the Wentz situation and all, I mean, the guy had success. He he coached Nick Foles to a freaking Super Bowl championship. Like right. I feel like he kind of got a little bit of a raw deal. Well, to a degree, there was some stuff there, but it, he runs it professionally. He ru- he will run it professionally, and that's kind of like where you want to start. I think with both of those organizations is he will delegate to his assistants. He'll bring in good assistants, and it will be run the way a professional organization is going to be run which will be refreshing in Jacksonville. So yeah, Gerard Mayo, Aaron Glenn, and Patrick Graham. I don't think any of those guys are on the top of the list of candidates, but I would put Graham, I think Graham gets more accolades than Mayo and Glenn right now. I also so he would Graham, seem to be a more, more of a candidate. Yeah, Graham was getting accolades last year. I don't know how he survives the Joe Judge apocalypse there and comes out with a head coaching candidate. I think he'll be a hot DC candidate. I'm yeah. seeing both Glenn and Mayo getting named in that wide Broncos search. Uh, b- both of them are getting named. But again, I think they're going offense. As Scott mentioned earlier, they're going to go offense uh, to, to, to uh, pivot from Fangio there. So Mayo's making a jump, I believe, from linebacker coach up. So that would be... That- yeah, he's sort of the kind of half defensive coordinator because there's no official defensive coordinator. But let's be honest, it's... Bill Belichick, who arranges that defense, and it's Steve Belichick who calls the plays. If you hire Gerard Mayo, you're not trying to bring in a defensive scheme genius. You're trying to bring in the CEO type. Yes. A, yo- a young CEO type, but and a respected ex-player. Yeah. He's, he's right? kind of in the same spot Brian Flores was in when he got hired by the Dolphins, right? Yeah. Except I think Flores was more hands-on with the, with the defensive scheme. But he wasn't the defensive coordinator in name, so it, it seemed like a weird jump in that same sense. Right. But does this, this the Bill Belichick halo effect on all of these coordinators ever wear off? Because like most of them haven't turned into great head coaches. No, terrible. Whether or not that any, says anything about you know the system or anything else, I don't know. But, but I think probably most coaches are going to fail because of where they end yeah. up going. But you would think that that wouldn't be the invoke thing to do anymore. It's like giving the $50 million contract to the running back every time. You're like, well, maybe this time it's different. This guy is different because he's been so durable. This guy's different because he's McCaffrey and he can catch the ball. And every $50 million running back contract flames out and winds up being a mistake. Every Belichick assistant is different. And yet the results always end up the same. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, again, I think Flores's results were good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. Jim Steckschulte says between McCaskey's grease fire of a press conference Monday afternoon and Bill Polian leading the Bears search committee, how terrified should I be? I missed the press conference. I'm sorry. Which gets us actually to the question that I think is better, that kind of connects with this, which is Boone's pacemaker asked before the show, which of the open coaching jobs is most desirable? Miami has the best record. But improving from nine wins to 12 wins seems a lot harder than putting the pieces together back in Jacksonville. Meanwhile, the Giants might be good enough to be the Dan Campbell Lions by 2025. Yeah, that's harsh. <laughs> so, 
So Chicago is one of the jobs, right? Uh, to me, the most desirable job, without a question, is Jacksonville. Really? You want Trevor, you right? Get Trevor Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Like, if we all still feel like, okay, I, I mean, I think you have to take the evidence that Trevor Lawrence did not have a good rookie season. So you have to downgrade him a little bit from what we thought of him last year. But still, if you redrafted last year, even knowing what you know now about how good Mac Jones was and whatever, Trevor Lawrence would still be the number one pick. Yeah. And if he was available in this year's draft, Trevor Lawrence would be the number one pick. Yeah. And if you get the Jacksonville job, yes, you, I don't know how Trent, Trent Balke is staying as the GM and has a questionable history, but you get Trevor Lawrence. So to right. me, that is the that is the most attractive job of all of them. I went back and forth on the Bears and the Jaguars being my top job. And I, I was basically rating these on three categories. You have the QB or your QB resources. And I think we all agree that Trevor Lawrence is, is a better quarterback to have than Justin Fields. Although I think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic about Fields going forward too. Oh yeah, definitely. Both of the teams have a lot of cap space for 2022. The Bears, 43 million. The Jaguars, 64 million. That's 11th and third. So you feel good about the resources to improve the team. And then the other is the GM situation. The Bears don't have a GM, which I take that as sort of like a middling, potentially positive. You just kind of have to find the right mix for you. Right. And then the Jaguars have probably a bad GM situation. And it, it kind of puts me in a spot where I'm like, huh, you know, like if I were, you know, if I were an up and comer, like a Kellen Moore type, um, then I'm not sure I would want that job because it, it, it might be setting you up for a bad situation there. But if I were Doug Peterson, and maybe I had the political power to like take that GM job in a year and get more power. And if I want to be running the running everything, maybe that makes more sense to me to go to Jacksonville. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. And that's one of the things you assume as a head coach for right now, the teams that don't have the GM, which is uh, Minnesota, which I think is undesirable because everyone's old on the roster and you have to come, come in and figure out what you're doing with all the old guys um, and the bears you're either coming in with, and the giants, but like, uh, you're either coming in with your buddy as the GM and he brought you in, or you're coming in as sort of like the, the CEO, like a, like Peterson could potentially be, and you're going to have a, 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 uh, somebody under you doing that job. In both of those cases, that's pretty appealing. I don't know if it's more appealing than Jacksonville, but I would definitely think about it. The idea that I'm coming in as part of an entire regime and in a year or so, there's not going to be the latest power struggle going on there, uh, which is a potential you might have in Jacksonville with Balky and, you know, with, with, shot at the top, like having one eye on one thing and one on soccer and one on wrestling and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And there's, there's major upside with the Broncos too, because they have plenty of cap space, 44 million. We think they probably have a good GM, right? And so like, what, what if they are the quarterback destination for the disgruntled star? Yeah. And I don't know how real we should treat that as a, as a thing every season. Like it may not be every year that you can just grab Aaron Rodgers or whatever, but mm -hmm. That is a situation that could become the, the most competitive, the quickest, if things broke right for them. Yeah. Joey sucks. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it better to come into a good team with expectations or a bad team where you likely have a bit more job security? Bad team. Go in there and goof off like Matt Rule for a year. I mean, don't yeah. goof off like Matt Rule for a year, but have like that honeymoon period. Don't necessarily come in with a high expectation. Miami would be tough because the expectation is that you're going to build on nine and eight. 
Yeah, it could also be tough because they might be trying to trade Tua for Deshaun Watson, and you have no idea walking into the door what's going to happen. Yeah, that's what I was going to say before. Be careful when you look at the cap space for a team that doesn't have a quarterback on the payroll for 2022, because that cap space can go disappear in a heartbeat if you say, "Well, we've got to pay." Forget Aaron Rodgers; we have to repay Teddy Bridgewater, and that's going to be you know 22 million off the top off the top right there. Do we all agree that the worst job right now, even though if you've got the GM flexibility where you may come in with a GM that you get along with, is the Giants? I do. You know, they're 13 million over the cap right now. Oh. Uh, so they're the basically they're bottom five in terms of cap flexibility. And you can't you can't make this team any better and you're and you're bad. So I don't really know what the game plan would be other than to like draft one of these quarterbacks that no one really seems to love and, and then hope for the best. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Or hope that you're the genius that can turn Daniel Jones into a star. But at this point, I think that ship has sailed. Right. No, he's a, he's going to be like your mediocre bottom rung starter at, at best moving forward. Do you, if you're the Las Vegas Raiders, do you add yourselves to this group of teams or do you keep Rich Basaccia after he took a team with all kinds of off-field issues and somehow maneuvered them into the playoffs? No, I mean this is fool's gold, and I hope that. This I mean, is- I I agree with you, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they did it. Anyway. No, I, I wouldn't either, and I hope he becomes assistant head coach for the rest of his career. Uh, you know, no matter where he goes. Um, but the idea is like, well, you know, congratulations. We got all these weird penalties in the Chargers game and we played the the Brown scout team, et cetera, et cetera. It was a great effort to not lock the next two or three years into this interim head coaching situation. Yeah, I think it's true that the, the Raiders were outscored by something like 60 points this season. So <laughs> yeah. it's just like it's like a ridiculous thing that they made the playoffs that happens in the NFL in such a small set of games. But you can't assume that this means that you're going to be competitive every season and it might be particularly difficult in that division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert for the next 10 years, potentially you, you really need to build like a juggernaut to expect to compete. That's the other reason why I would not want, I I would, I would much prefer other jobs to either Denver or Las Vegas is I do not want to be taking a job. If you take a job in the NFC North, like your Chicago or Minnesota, right? Aaron Rodgers eventually is going to go or retire. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, that division is there for the taking. If you take the Jaguars job, it doesn't feel like the Colts or Titans are that strong for the long term. Like if you take the Denver or Vegas jobs, you're you're fighting with Mahomes and Herbert every freaking year. Right. Right. Um, going back with a non-coach question, Todd Singer asked, Mr. Tanier, that's you, even as a Colts fan. I enjoyed reading the Carson Wentz victimization index entries this year. <laughs> but what would you recommend they do now? If they cut Wentz before March 19th, they avoid a $7 million roster bonus but absorb $15 million of dead money in 2022. They have no first or third round picks. As you know, as an Eagles fan, projected to have $50 million in cap space in 2022. Yeah. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a speedboat. Carson Wentz is a speedboat. The second day, happiest day of your life is when you get him. The <laughs> happiest day of your life is when you get rid of him. And I don't know. I, I was looking at it earlier in the week, and I said, I can't think about this right now. I can't think about the Colts situation. What they definitely need to do is they need to dip into this quarterback solution pool, even though this is a very weak quarterback class. And if there's somebody lying around in the second round who's got athletic tools, 
start the process of moving on from Carson Wentz because they have been uh, wiffle waffling since Andrew Luck was obviously reaching the point where he was never going to be healthy and becoming dissatisfied. And instead of solving the problem, they were always looking for a patch. Carson Wentz was a patch. The patch has fallen off. It's going to cost you money to move on from him. But if you don't start the process now, you're going to be in the same boat in 2023 with nothing to show for it. Not even your Jalen Hurts-esque, oh, don't worry, Carson, this guy's not a threat to replace you. Threat to replace him. Joey Sucks says, Jameis to the Colts. I See, I would think it makes a lot more sense for the Colts to do what you just said, like use right. a second-round pick on a quarterback mm-hmm. rather than try, try having two veteran free agents fight over the job. Right. And and Jameis and Carson, that would be an interesting dynamic in the room. I don't know how that would go, but you're going to go back to square one. Hey, here's our latest veteran patch. We went nine and eight again. And now the following year, we'll get Daniel Jones or, or whatever they're going to do. It, it's, it's a merry-go-round at this point. They need to get off it. What about Nick Foles to the Colts? <laughs> if the Bears hire an offensive coordinator with a different system. Well, I mean, I that's not an upgrade on Carson Wentz. No, and you guys are now on purpose trying to hurt Carson. <laughs> You're trying to hurt his his frat. All the jokes about him that didn't come from me around the world, it's not going well right now, okay, in Carson land. So, yeah, don't actually bring Nick Foles and Jalen Hurts and all these other guys in there because that that's not going to work. Ser- ser- serious question, Mike. Do you think that Sam Darnold is basically the same person, but it's just the circumstances are different? Because that, <laughs> that's a little – that's a yeah. That's a theory that some of my Panthers fans and I have, uh, but it, not a productive one necessarily. But I I can kind of see it. The arm talent is really there, mm-hmm. but the mind just it doesn't work the way that it needs to work for the position. <laughs> I think it's different personality traits. That's true. Uh, one took too many hits, and one took too much criticism. Maybe that's the best way of putting it. Um, and their style of interception is a little different. But I can see like yeah the. The flamboyant interception is, is relatively sim- similar. I think that's that's an archetype of failed prospect. This guy Darnold. will come out there and give you that wonderful play once in a while, that two-game stretch once in a while, and then the problem that made them a failed pros- uh, prospect propagates on them. The problem is that Wentz had like a 13-game stretch of that strong play. Yes. And Darnold's never had that stretch. So, so with Wentz, there's almost this feeling of paradise lost. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, wow, there was that one year when he was so good. And oh, if we could just get back to that, Darnold, there's there's none of that feeling. The the year he was so good is still is college. Right. Yeah. It's, the thing is, like, Carson has had two incredible offensive lines. And then, like, when that starts to chip away and that puts more pressure on him, that's when he's most likely to make his mistakes because of his style of play. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the thing that you wonder about Darnold, where it's like the arm talent is amazing. But when things start to spiral, they really go downhill quickly. And you would wonder whether having an amazing offensive line would contribute to helping that or not. I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about how much of this is circumstance versus the players. Right. Right. And there's a point at which, especially, I, I don't want to keep going on like sort of Carson's personality here. Too many hits for a young quarterback is too many hits for a young quarterback. Most of them do not rebound and say, hey, I've got my pocket timing and presence back after taking the amount of sacks that Sam Darnold has taken in the last couple of years. Here's another coach question. Uh, Given how parallel and intertwined their lengthy runs have been and how comparable their stats and accomplishments are, how do you project history will regard the careers of Tomlin and Harbaugh and where will they end up on the coaches wins list? And I actually have a graphic for this question. Oh, good. 
which is let's look. These are the top NFL active head coaches in regular season wins. And despite the question, Tomlin and Harbaugh are not next to each other on this list. Tomlin has been a coach for two years longer. So he's higher on the historic coach wins list than Harbaugh is. And interestingly enough, like Tomlin and Peyton both came in the same year. They both started 2006. Hmm. Mike McCarthy and Harbaugh both started in 2008. Hmm. So it's interesting. I think that Harbaugh will be very well regarded by history because I think we won. We, the nerds, won. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at fourth down decision making in the NFL, I think by the time we get to 15 or 20 years from now, people will wonder why this was ever, why coaches were ever as conservative as they were until four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think Harbaugh will his reputation as one of the coaches who broke that open will serve him well historically. Okay. Okay. I'm also trying to look at where they're going to land in the all-time list. Uh, I have no idea because I have no idea how much longer these guys are going to coach. It seems like they're still going pretty strong and they're still fairly young. They're both I mean, fairly I can say young. With Tomlin's right. 49, Harbaugh's 59. So there's a 10-year gap there. And if Tomlin, who's won 10 wins per season as a head coach, if he won 100 more games, say played t- 10 more years plus, that would put him third behind Don Shula, George Hallis, and Bill Belichick, and presumably possibly also you know, behind Andy Reid, who's currently fifth, if they keep going too. So it's like he can get to a really elevated tier, which is exciting if he can figure out uh, what to do without Roethlisberger going forward. But I'll say one reason I think Harbaugh is going to be remembered really well too is because he succeeded with two different quarterbacks because mm-hmm. he yeah. won – like he won what at least eight games for like seven or eight seasons with Joe Flacco at quarterback, then won the Super Bowl, and then this turnaround had done it again with Lamar, not the Super Bowl, but that could potentially still happen. Right. And it's that's a thing that I think sticks in people's minds because we're also unsure how to parcel out. Oh, the coach deserves this, the quarterback deserves this, and that was a thing with Bill Belichick, who I think we rightly think is the best coach of all time. There were a lot of people that were like, it's, it seems kind of like Brady's the one that's more responsible for this. And that's only now changing that he's having success with Mac Jones. So I think Harbaugh did something extremely rare by having so much success with two different quarterbacks. Yeah. yeah I, no, I, I won't, I don't want to take these statements about Harbaugh to be seen as a diss on Tomlin. I think Tomlin is going to be a hall of fame coach. We will, what, what happens is when it comes time to nominate coaches for the hall of fame, when his career is over. And like you said, I didn't realize he's 10 years younger than Harbaugh. So he's going to be around for a while. Yeah. We're going to talk about that no losing season streak, even though the no losing season streak is a little arbitrary because of the eight and eight season. Yeah. And we're going to talk about his ability to manage his players. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he managed Antonio Brown for so many years will be mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure Tomlin is going into the hall of fame. Right. One thing that one thing to keep in mind as you go future in the hall of fame, the coaches have been separated from the players. So the right, Hall of it didn't was, used to be that way. Now it is. Yeah, so the Hall of Fame was really difficult for coaches because they were mixed in with the players, plus owners and guys like that were all in this soup of people. And now with the coaches and the contributors kind of off to the side, it's going to be a little bit of an easier road. And I think that's beneficial. I think a lot of these coaches deserve these opportunities. So by the time that, yeah, that, that Tomlin is, uh, comes up, even when Harbaugh gets up, even possibly when Sean Payton gets up, most of the Super Bowl winning coaches with a lot of wins, they're not going to be in there saying, well, is it him or Tom Brady? We better pick Brady. They're going to be among each other. And I think that's going to give them better opportunities. 
I also feel somewhat confident in saying that despite the success that he may have, unless he wins a Super Bowl in Dallas, I don't think Mike McCarthy will be a Hall of Famer. I feel like there's just too many people who have these negative vibes about him, despite the fact that he's had a lot of success. Right, right. And I don't know the list. There's a long list of one Super Bowl, but didn't make the Hall of Fame coaches. Not many of whom have McCarthy's win record. But you can go back to, you know, the Vermeils and people like that, uh, you know, et cetera. But you're right. I, I, when they go When they go into the room and they start getting the testimonials, from the players, from the assistants, from the opponents. I don't know what they're going to be saying about McCarthy. I think it's going to be mostly positive about the other guys. I'm not sure it's going to be mostly positive about McCarthy. Yeah. Um, Parker Shorey asked before the show, I just saw a fantasy ranking for 2022 putting Amon Ross St. Brown at 30. Am I crazy or is this guy top 10 next year? Well, I mean, I hate to, to pour cold water, but I, I think I'm going to have him probably closer to 30th and I'm going to have him 10th. And there are a couple of reasons. The first is, yes, he was amazing down the stretch from weeks 13 to 18. I think he was the number two fantasy receiver behind just Cooper Cup, but he was very lucky to be so. He had five touchdowns, but just 2.2 expected touchdowns, giving him the biggest touchdown surplus among wide receivers. He had 16 red zone targets in that time, but just four end zone targets, and he caught three of them for touchdowns. That's just... It's an unusual level of success for those few opportunities in and around the goal line. Just to give you some examples, Stefan Diggs had 13 end zone targets, but just two touchdowns in that time. Mm. Justin Jefferson had nine and scored four. DK Metcalf, seven and three. And St. Brown is six foot and 197 pounds. I don't think there's any reason to expect that he's going to be DK Metcalf going forward in the end zone. So I think that that's for one. That's tough. The second is that he just had a ton of work, and I think that really relates to the fact that the Lions had so few other good players on the team to work with. I, I kind of call this the Jeremy Grant syndrome. He's a player for the, in the NBA who scored 12 points per game for the Nuggets two years ago and then scored 22.3 for the Pistons. Mm -hmm. And like you can say, like, hey, did, did Jeremy Grant get really, really good from one year to the next, or did he join a team that's just not yeah. nearly as good and suddenly he gets more opportunities it's like it, in fantasy basketball, like you draft players on expansion teams because somebody has to score the points. <laughs> exactly. And so if you look at the teammates, I, I kind of did this split. We're looking at individual players that got a lot of targets and then looking at the yards per target of everybody else at wide receiver and tight end for the position. St. Brown had the 16th lowest yards per target by teammates of everybody with a lot of targets hmm. was kind of in there with Darnell Mooney, Elijah Moore and Brandon cooks, who I kind of treat along similar lines, especially Brandon cooks, right. a player that we've seen be less featured and more featured based on the quality of players around them. So like, I think there's some points there that say there was definitely some luck involved with the, the big bounce, like the big increase for St. Brown. Now, all that said, I mean, I think there's still tons of reasons to be optimistic about the guy going forward. He was a fourth round pick, so maybe he isn't going to be Demarius Thomas or A.J. Brown, players that had similar late season runs when they were younger. Um, but, you know, he's also a, a heavy slot guy. And those are the guys that we tend to misevaluate because of a lack of physical tools. Hmm. And really, Hunter Renfro, I think, provides a very, you know, realistic comp of a player that was a fifth round pick. He was like a little bit undersized, like doesn't have the flashy outside receiver type of skill set, had the big increase in fantasy production toward the end of his rookie season, and then has gone on to being a very successful fantasy player. But like that's like a 25th to 35th type of fantasy player, not not a top 10 guy. 
The guy, uh, L.L. Salerno points out, by the way, I think next year Amon Ra will be more covered given that he will be seen as the wide receiver one for the Lions. I think that's uh, definitely an issue as well. I mean, if you're, I don't know who else the Lions will have at wide receiver next year. It really year, depends who they get. And I mean, if you're, co- if you're covering Hawkinson the Lions right now, that's the guy you cover, right? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about other players who are going to really go up in fantasy next year. The one who really stands out to me is Javante Williams mm. from Denver mm-hmm. because Melvin Gordon is a, a free agent. And I would think that Javante Williams is going to be the definite lead back in Denver next year. Yeah, he has a 16.2% avoided tackle rate this season. That's the highest among all running backs with 50 or more carries. Like This seems to me like a superstar that just hasn't really had the opportunities yet. I'm very excited. Also, as a UNC alum, got to represent my guy there. (laughs) Really, really enjoy it. Looking forward to that next year. Good offensive line there, too. People lose track of the Broncos. A lot of good bodies on that offensive line. That should help. Yeah, um, Bowles has improved a Risner. lot since he was younger. Yes, Risner's a good ball player. A couple other guys in there that can play. Um, Jim yeah. Stecklty says all those Raiders picks from Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, and the best one looks like he delivers water bottles to the office. <laughs> He's from Clemson. Well, the other best one was the small school guy, Max Crosby. Right, but I mean, I'm. T- I think he's talking about just the big, yeah, the, 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 the right. kind of riffraff of it all. Yeah, yeah. Well, Do you have you any? Pick enough Clemson guys, you're going to get one. I mean, come on. <laughs> Do you have anybody else who stands out to you, Scott, for next year as guys? Yeah, who as, are as be like fantasy guys that could break out. Yeah, I actually have two categories of guys, so I'll run run these by you one at a time. One, I'm calling the the touchdown shortfallers. So using those same expected touchdowns as the metrics, guys that struck me as maybe being unlucky touchdown scorers. So like Dalvin Cook, seven touchdowns, 9.5 expected. Had an off year, I think, is, is a great player, obviously. Yeah, well, he had way more touchdowns the year before. So exactly. Um, one of Mike's favorites, Michael Carter. I'm going to say I'm going to try to talk talk Mike into Michael Carter over the course of this. Four touchdowns, 6.5 expected. Chase Claypool, one touchdown, 4.9 expected. Also, oh, yeah. the kind of body type you would expect to score. Yeah. Maybe get him a different quarterback in there. Uh, yeah. Kyle Pitts, just one touchdown this year. Yes. But 4.9 expected touchdowns plus set the record for most receiving yards for a rookie tight end. Could be really, really good next year, by the by. He he could Um, be Julio, too. He could be Julio Jones and never get the touchdown. He could be taking that niche in the Falcons. I'm not going to give him that yet. Let's let's give him a couple (laughs) years to try it first. Um, And the two other tight ends, Cole Komet didn't score, but 3.8 expected touchdowns. Get Jimmy Graham out of there. Give this guy a chance. (laughs) Tyler Higby, three touchdowns and 5.6 expected touchdowns. I know we've waited for that breakout for a couple of years, but uh, I think he's he's really good. I think that's going to happen eventually. So I don't know if any of those guys stood out to you. Yeah, Claypool was our preseason, one of our preseason projections that I took on a lot of teams that didn't work out. But the, the biggest reason it didn't work out is he just didn't have touchdowns. And there's just a lot of randomness to that. I agree. All right, now let's go with the the sort of standout efficiency players. I had Javante Williams at the top of this list, but there's a couple of guys that kind of match that from from other perspectives too. There are three running backs that had really good yards after contact numbers. Rashad Penny, Devin Singletary, and Michael Carter, again, were all top 10 in yards after contact per attempt. Penny, I think, is the easiest one to buy, which is weird because he's been like a three-year bust at this point, but is a bigger back. Singletary yeah, and Carter are kind of small. The deal is, I don't know what the deal is with Chris Carson's neck. Yeah. So if you think about opportunity, um, well, Penny's Penny a free may agent have too. the opportunity there. So like he could go anywhere, potentially. Um, 
from a receiving perspective, Michael Carter, 1.9 yak plus. Derek and I call him baby Camaro, Mike. So just get, okay. get used to this. This is, this is where we're going with that. Um, some receivers of note, Josh Palmer, 0.10 plus minus per catchable target is the same as Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, and Chris Godwin. And granted, some of that is Justin Herbert, but he's going to have Justin Herbert. And I think yeah. Mike Williams is probably going to move on. So I think that's a guy that could step into a number two role and really have success. Uh, I have two bills and I don't know who to choose. So maybe you can help me here. Isaiah McKenzie and Gabriel Davis, both really good uh, plus minus per catchable target numbers. Also, Gabriel Davis led all receivers in with 10.8 expected touchdowns per 100 targets this season. He's like an extremely good touchdown scorer, but just hasn't played. And I it wonder depends if what happens Sanders, with their other receivers, yeah. because Gabriel Davis is the replacement for Emmanuel Sanders. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, he's the backup to Emmanuel Sanders. Well, McKenzie is the backup to Beasley. So it depends what happens with their other receivers, which one of those guys gets the opportunity. It's going to be really interesting. Small amount of playoff previewing here. Mm. It will be really interesting to see what the Bills do in this playoff game, given that McKenzie destroyed the Patriots Mm -hmm. in that second Bills-Patriots game, but doesn't normally play a role because Beasley is normally not on the COVID list. Do they go with Beasley? Or do they go with McKenzie? You know, a team can have two slot guys. You I don't can. know why this is such a problem. You, I, can, it, you can rotate them, but which yeah. one do you really want to use more? You're not going to use them both. They don't go four wide a lot. Like, they go three wide. The question, I guess, is, is McKenzie the reason that worked really well? Or did it work well because the Patriots have really good outside cornerbacks and you have to be a team that can get to a third or fourth receiver to take mm-hmm. advantage of a relative weakness. It was a lot I'm of not sure which is which. It was a lot of speed jet sweep type stuff. That was part mm-hmm. of it, I think. Okay, yeah, well, we can't do that, speed, that's for sure. Speed, it was speed yeah. against Miles Bryant, who's an undrafted guy. Uh, Jim Steckschulte says, Scott, thank you for pushing Daryl Henderson and Mike Williams prior to fantasy drafts. They were very helpful before many things went sideways for me this year. <laughs> Didn't they for, for all of us? Well, thanks. I, I think I had a weird year of recommending a lot of people that were really successful, including Cooper Cup, and then recommending to avoid a lot of people who were also quite successful. So it's like, I don't know whether I did good or bad, but hopefully you picked the right ones to listen to me on. <laughs> I had a good, using your picks, I had a very good fantasy year, except, of course, in the Edge Sports League, where I think everyone uses your picks, I had a bad year. Yeah, well, what, what can you do when you're playing in-house, right? Right. Yeah, no, totally. Um, Hitchhiker's Pie says, do they ever distinguish on tracking charts whether people get open better outside the red zone versus inside the red zone? I have no idea. Hmm. By tracking charts, does he mean with like the next gen stat, the chips and stuff? I don't know. Maybe with the next gen stats. That's the interesting next gen stats project. If you don't have hands on the next gen stats. To that necessarily. But yeah, I mean, I think the data would be there to do that research if you were on a team, but it would be tougher from a public perspective. It's It's a worry when you have a player who gets a high percentage of red zone touches, who will then therefore not have as much room to operate, which could then wind up being a distortion within the data. But that's just a thought. I don't have any knowledge on that. Bill Houston says, do you three agree that Captain Kilgore, head coach of the Lions, deserved to keep his job? Yes. Oh, yeah. Of course. After <laughs> one year, there's nothing that shows that you should fire Campbell after one year. I mean, if they're still 3-12 and 12 after three years, then sure. But, you know. This, w- this year went literally as well as it could have because they got a high draft pick, but they had a very encouraging year in terms of the results, if not the wins and losses. The competitiveness mm-hmm. seems like the players all really like him. Right. He actually – 
he did really well as a scheme guy in like a weird way. I'm yeah. sc- scrambling up here to find the note that I had about this and I'm not, not sure I'm going to find it, but like when Anthony Lynn was calling plays, Jared Goff, I think he threw for 6.5 yards per attempt and threw about as many touchdowns as interceptions. Mm-hmm. And then he took over and it was like 11 and two and he used Amon Ross St. Brown more and that really worked. And like, he did a better job coordinating the offense. So it's like, it's weird how, how versatile of a coach he seems to be, but maybe it shouldn't be. I think like we were quick to laugh him off as the like, haha, let's bite some kneecaps guy. But like yeah. he was the assistant head coach to Sean Payton for years in, in New Orleans. And that's like a non-traditional role. And I get that, but, and that might've given him some like interesting insight into like a lot of levels of the team, not just the one that a coordinator might see. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Joey sucks says Campbell did a good job with decision-making too, right? Yes. He was very aggressive on fourth downs in a positive way. Yes, absolutely. Campbell was one of the best coaches in the league at that. Yeah. I have I the impression he lets his guys coach. He lets his coaches coach. And then he goes up and does his bit to a degree to the, with the media. So nobody's really looking behind the curtain. I, I get, I get that impression. Uh, there's a question whether he did too good a job because like he was throwing out the trick plays left and right. Maybe save this for when the team's a little <laughs> bit better, right? Like you don't want to empty the whole, the whole, uh, you know, revolver at, at the first chance you get. Yeah, but now they're on film. So now other teams have to prepare for them. So now you can do whatever is the backup, you know, the, the alternative of you know, where the, the orbit or the jet goes in the same direction. But now instead of throwing it here, you have this on the other way. So by the way, we, we wrote a very positive article in the Almanac about him. Uh, so I just want to point that out as, as my big win of the year, too. Nice. Kessel 12 says, not sure if this has been asked already, but who would you hire for Denver's coach? We didn't really assign our favorite candidates to open jobs. I mean, you know, we talked about the fact that we don't think Denver is very attractive compared to some of the other jobs because you have to fight Herbert and Mahomes every year. Right, right. They have to go offensive at this point. Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio and all the coordinators who are like the old school Kubiak family tree coordinators that they've gone through. I feel like they have to move away from that. And this feels like the right place for young offensive mind. Like what's the name of the guy from San Francisco again? Uh, Mike. uh, Shoot. I forgot. McDaniel. uh, McDaniel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not Josh McDaniels, but Mike McDaniel. Unrelated, this, yeah. They did this. They did that already. This, they already did the Josh McDaniels. <laughs> Denver would seem like the right place for the young, uh, young, talented go-getter offensive mind with mm-hmm. new ownership, right? And an established general manager. Yep, yep. I agree. Grab one of those. Grab them. One of them off the rack. The 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 Getsy guy. Or uh, or Kellen or or uh, the kid from San Francisco grab one of these guys and go. Not that I don't like them there, but I feel like one of, a type like that I would like a lot and with the Vikings because I feel like if you are hitting the hard reset and you either have a year of Kirk Cousins to kill or maybe you're going to trade him away as best you can. There's weird cap implications with all of that, but maybe you have time to learn on the job a bit without the pressure of winning. Um, but they've you know remained loyal to their guys for for longer hiring periods than a lot of the teams. So like. To me, that would be an intriguing place to take a guy that's a first-time head coach that maybe is more creative, more scheme-forward and stuff. Yeah. But I don't know if I'm getting a little bit too deep into the weeds from that perspective. No, no it makes sense. There's plenty of mini McVees. We can give them lots of jobs. There's always another one coming coming off the assembly line. Bill Houston says, the Broncos interviewed Biennemi, but I have a better chance of being an astronaut than Biennemi <laughs> landing a head coach job. I actually don't think that's true. I think Biennemi's got a chance. Uh, for all, 
Bill Houston could be an astrophysicist who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, can handle 12 G's without a problem. I, I don't know. I, I hope Beanie gets his opportunity. This has turned into almost like this meme. You know, it's like year five of talking about this. So I, I hope it happens. And I think he would be a fine fit. Uh, he can't go. He cannot replace Nagy. You can't just grab the, the, the next uh, read assistant up the line. So <laughs> Chicago would be a bad place for that. But New York would be an okay place for him. Denver so, would be a reasonable place for him. Yeah. Mike, I think we've discussed this before, and I don't I don't know if we got anywhere per se, but I always wondered whether Biennemi's biggest issue wasn't like interviewing or anything along those lines. The issue was that the Chiefs went on deep playoff runs each of the last three seasons and kind of made him a later hiring candidate. I almost feel like the ability to, to, to interview head coaches before the end of the season was a rule made to give Biennemi a chance to interview. And I don't know if I'm overthinking things here, but – Maybe that could give him. A I think chance. he was one of the reasons yeah. for it. Sure. Yeah. 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 But, you know, other guys have won Super Bowls and gotten hired the next day. You know, that that happens too. Uh, so, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to know. And maybe his issue is just that he's not a 35 year old person of a certain color that went to mm-hmm. an Ivy League school. And, like, you know, yeah. maybe that's the thing that everyone's chasing. Yeah. But I'm hoping that the. I, it, I, it, it had to hurt him that he was playing deep into the postseason the last few years. It didn't help. Let's put that. But the idea, like, oh, we don't want to bring in the successful guy in this particular situation, is a little bit odd. Lots of lots of Belichickians have moved on, and they're usually going deep into the postseason every year. You know. Hmm. Uh, here's one another question from before the show from Adam Bonin. Uh, the Eagles have Gardner Minshew under contract for one more year at an exceptional price. When the officer uh, offers come this offseason from Denver and Charlotte and parts unknown. Should they take the best one or hold on to Minshew as Hertz insurance? Charlotte is parts unknown. Sorry, Scott, but that's um, <laughs> we would well, love to. I would take d- him. Dangle him at the end of that line. Dangle him out there and see what you get. If you get this Sam Darnold type offer, then you and that's how Howie I think is going to approach this. He's going to shine Minshew up. He's going to make the phone calls himself probably, and see if there's a. I'm not going to say sucker. See if there's a taker at a right price. If that price doesn't come in, you're right. Uh, I think affordable backup, Hertz insurance, et cetera, that's useful, and you hold on to them in that case. Is the theory that Hertz would be potentially more likely to get hurt because he runs so much, or is this just about the like Howie Roseman philosophy of you don't have a backup quarterback, you have a second quarterback because you expect both quarterbacks to play, and it's like it's just good to have a backup that's good? It's, it's both, and there's probably in the background like the, the are we 100% convinced with Hertz. Um, and I, you know, I'm not 100% convinced with anybody in this world, but I'm pretty convinced with Hertz. If Hertz is not your future, Minshew's not your future. That means your future is not in the organization. But there is a, the, the fear of injury there. And you're right. There's also that sense of, you know, we are the quarterback factory, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we're going to maximize the leverage we get from this guy. Joey Sucks asks, would Philly rather get a backup with a similar skill set to Hertz? Yeah, Probably. Uh, let's see what they do in the draft. Let's see what they do. Y- you know, you can get that kind of scrambling read option guy. One thing I'm not certain of is, are they thinking like we're going to be the Ravens now with the way we're going to do things? Or is the idea that we're going to open up the passing game more and that read option is going to go, go from, you know, 20 plays a game to 10 plays a game. So those are the answers we don't have right now. Maybe we'll know a little bit more after the playoffs. L.O. Salerno asks, do you think the Bucks lose both their assistants this year? 
I would say just based on the odds of everybody getting jobs, the odds would suggest that the most likely outcome is that one of the coordinators moves on and one of the coordinators stays. I'm not, I'm sorry, this is the world we live in. I'm not going to bet on two African-American assistants getting head coaching jobs. That's not what I, the world I want to live in. That's the world we live in. So I will say the odds are you'll keep at least one. Two African-American assistants who are not close friends with Sean McVay. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavens. Good night, uh, folks. Yeah. <laughs> well you know lots of guys that work for sean mcveigh byron left which is one of them so. the, the record scratch on <laughs> on this podcast was really <laughs> extreme there holy cow so congratulations to deacon Blue, blues the uh winner of loser week <laughs> yeah <laughs> they call alabama the crimson tide they call deacon blues the winner of the loser league it is very appropriate that the winner of our league has a Steely Dan reference. I, I had a lot of fun this year. Scott beat me. Scott was the <laughs> best, had the best staff team in Loser League this year. I was in the mix. I think I finished seven. You were in I the had mix. a good good last week. Few yeah, I started out strong and faded at the end. I had a couple weeks where guys who I thought were playing ended up on the COVID list, and so I pulled mm -hmm. penalty on them. Yeah. I forgot I had a team, so that's that's a typical fantasy year for me. Completely forgot. I think that happened in the Edge Sports League too, Mike. Yep, that happened there as well. That happens in my immediate life as well, I'm afraid. So I read a lot of checks for uh, teams I forgot about in week three. Jim Steckschulte says one Bears reporter tweeted out a historical link between Bill Polian and Brian Dable, uh, neither of whom is actually related to Sean McVay. I think Dable is a good candidate. Yeah, absolutely. I voted him for assistant coach of the year last year. So he's a, uh, definitely an interesting candidate, especially – in Chicago, where you have the young quarterback who has similar skill set to mm -hmm. Josh Allen, I think uh, that that I think that that would make a lot of logical sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a little too cute here, but I had he Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman and Jaguars offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel, who was an OC for Russell Wilson. Like all of them make stylistic sense for Fields as a potential head coaching candidate. Right. Yeah. I don't think Bevel's uh, on the. Short list of this. Doesn't point. seem to be That's on anybody's list, list, but whatever. Dable went to high school with Bill Polian's sons. Bam. Oh, I hate the NFL. I mean, I mean, <laughs> interesting tidbit. Interesting tidbit. Yes. Yes. Well, that's it. And, and and Stephen Ross went to Michigan. And so he called Jim Harbaugh and told him, don't leave Michigan. But, you know, uh, yeah. Dable is being talked about at New York as well. Given yeah. that it appears that the Maras like John Shine. Sorry, I I hate to. Uh, who's John Shine? I hate to, to, to not, not understand. No. Yeah, I'm a step behind on that particular bit here. So, meanwhile, uh, Joey Sucks asked if it was still cold as hell in my office. It is currently 62 degrees because it has warmed up outside to 41. Uh, but this morning it was 41 degrees in my office, so we had that going for us. So who is John Shine? Have we gotten him? I don't know. I'm looking it up on the internet. Interesting. And um, I have not checked in with my friends in the New York media in the last since. I, uh, I, I nothing is coming up that's the NFL related. Wow. Okay. So oh, that might be misspelled. He's he's the assistant head coach in Buffalo. Okay. 
Well, there you go. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah. Uh, says here the assistant head coach in Buffalo is Leslie Frazier, who would also make an interesting discussion for good coordinators who have been. Uh, yes, agreed. Who? Oh, but Joe Schoen. Joe Schoen. Okay. Joe Schmo. <laughs> the Giants are interviewing Joe Schmo. No, no, no. Thank the you, my managers. Thank you, Al. Probably the assistant. He's the assistant GM. He's Brandon Bean's right hand man. There we go. Okay. So turning the Giants into the the Buffalo Bills of oh, the, Jersey, the, the Buffalo Bills, Bills in New Jersey, and there's already a Panthers Mid Atlantic too in Washington. It's it's yes. the Panthers are getting stretched a little thin here, guys. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, because it is a satellite of a satellite of a Panthers office. It is right, right. They run a good ship in Buffalo. I would rather see the Giants go and look to these other organizations than keep looking from within or just running up I-95 to Foxbow and trying to grab those guys. So yeah, I mean, try another successful AFC East organization for once. Right, right, right. Go up the throughway instead of going up uh, I-95. It's a little different mm-hmm. this time. All right, I'm going to wrap up the show for today. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. We really appreciate it. Everybody watching and asking questions live. Uh, don't forget, if you're listening to this after the fact on the podcast network, you can ask questions live on Twitch or on YouTube at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's when we broadcast and take the live questions Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That is the current broadcast days. Thank you, Scott, for joining us for a non-fantasy show. Thank you, Mike, for joining, as always, on a Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow with Mike, Brian Knowles, and J.P. Acosta previewing six, six wildcard games. So many wildcard games. It's almost like a super wildcard weekend. (laughs) I'm just, I'm waiting until they inevitably put eight teams in the playoffs from each conference when it will be called super duper wildcard weekend. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> they never think of the fantasy writers when they expand the seasons. This is, this is killing me, guys. We all yeah. tired. We're all tired. That's why the young kids are coming in tomorrow. I'm just going to lean back and let them, let JP and Brian do all the work. All right, folks. Tomorrow, uh, back 1 p.m. Eastern. Join us, and we'll see you then. Take care. Take care.